it takes a lot to be a leader in this industry. It takes a lot of personal fortitude. And if you're going to get to the top of an oil company and do it effectively and have the, the true following of the people in your industry, you have to be a servant leader. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to episode number eight. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Capital Girls City Center with my guest, Delfina Govia, partner at Veritas Total Solutions. How are you this afternoon? I'm fantastic. It's Friday afternoon and the weather is beautiful outside. Except for the heat. I love the heat. Bring it. The hotter, <laughs> the better. Remember, I'm in the oil industry and not from Alaska or Canada. That's true. That's true. So before we go deeper into your current role, could you please tell our audience how you got started in the industry? I was born into it. Grandparents on both sides. My oh. one grandfather owned a downfield distribution company, wholesale distribution company here in the United States, operating out of New York City which is currently owned by Manhattan and Queens. So any New Yorkers out there, if you see the Manhattan and Queens trucks driving by, they, they acquired my grandfather's company, Carlier Brothers Fuel Oils, many years ago. Oh, that's and neat. Very cool. Yeah. And at the age of four, he would, at the age of four, when the laws were a little bit different in, the, in this country, I would be next to him on a fuel oil truck, and he'd have my hand on the stick shift, and he was showing me how to shift, and I would go on deliveries with him and, you know, thinking I was all that in a bag of chips. That's awesome. <laughs> and then my other grandfather, when his last job in the oil industry was, he was one of the group presidents at Exxon. He was the president of the research and development group. And then when he retired, he did a stint with Brown and Root as a consultant. So also my father owns an oil field services company in Venezuela. Oh, wow. So I was born into this industry and I've been working in it my entire life. Obviously, you're already living and breathing it. When did you decide that that's what you wanted as a career? I didn't really, there really wasn't any other option or choice. I mean, it just was. It just is. I I understand from farmers. I had an uncle who was a farmer. It's like you're you're born on the farm, you're raised on the farm, and you grew up to become a farmer. (laughs) It's kind of like the same thing. But I do remember very clearly, I was almost done with college. And my father sat me down. He said, okay, you're ready to come home and take your spot running my company, you know, helping me run my company because you're going to take over someday. And I was like, oh, no, daddy, I'm going to consider all these other things. And you know how there's recruiting on college campuses and they come and they, and so I was exploring other avenues and he just looked at me and he said, don't throw away what you already know, leverage that. I guess I thought about it and I said, okay, but here's the deal. I'm not coming home. (laughs) And he was like, that's fine. Just keep it in the family. Just keep it in the family. And every step I took as I got older, as I got wiser, and through more of my life into this industry, then and you get to see more and more of the world, you realize that there's nothing, nothing more exciting than what we do in the oil and gas industry. I can't agree more. (laughs) It is just, it's, we're the most powerful industry on the planet. And why would anyone ever want to do 
anything else. We have our ups and downs. Yeah. We have our challenges, but it is just the most fascinating industry. What we do is more difficult than putting a man on the moon. It, you're absolutely right, because they haven't been so great at that anyway. Yeah. So no. take that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we know where you started, let's discuss your journey from where you started to your current position. I started off in drilling mm-hmm. as a little roustabout on a drilling rig because my father said, you need to learn the business. And it was at a time in my country. I'm from Venezuela. I was born in the United States. Okay. I was born in New York City, but I was raised in Venezuela and where my father is from. And oh, and by the way, my grandmother worked for Sacconi, which was the former Mobile Oil. So even oh, my wow. grandma, my grandmother was in the in the oil industry. How Mine cool was too. <laughs> Isn't that the coolest thing? It is cool. But I went into drilling because my father wanted me to learn the business, and it was at a time where I grew up around Lake Maracaibo, and women were not allowed on the lake. You were not allowed to get in one of those boats and go out on the lake because women just weren't allowed. So. I had to disguise myself as a boy. My hair was very short, just like a boy's. So I had to wrap my chest and wear bulky shirts. And people looked the other way. Off I went, working as a roustabout on a drilling rig, doing whatever ugly, disgusting, dirty job I was asked to do. And even in some of his other services companies that he had, for example, he had an extermination business. So he would do all the fumigation on rigs and platforms and warehouses. And I remember dragging myself with fumigation equipment through... (laughs) Goodness. All the fumes. Yeah, exactly. So everything and anything that was dirty and nasty to do, I did. He didn't just give me some fancy little job in and off. Well, that's what parents do. I guess so. From there, I decided that I was going to get into the other part of the business. I spent some time in the downstream part of the organization designing gas distribution systems, Mm -hmm. so kind of midstream, downstream, and then eventually went back into pure upstream in Mm -hmm. the production part of the business and more in the offshore. So I've never really worked much onshore. most, Most of my experience is offshore, both shallow and deep water. So from there... Was that just over in... Gulf of Mexico. Okay, it was in Guam. So I had put in about a 20-year career, and my last stint at Mobile Oil, I was following around a consulting organization, who shall remain nameless, that was getting paid a $77 million nut to tell us how to improve our business. And of course, they sent their highly educated, fancy MBA young guys in their fancy suits and their Toomey leather bags. Which is so to, not oil and gas. Which is so not oil and gas. And and putting up their Pareto charts and trying to tell us how they were going to improve our logistics operations in the Gulf of Mexico and all this other foolishness and all this money they were going to save us. And they didn't know what they were talking about. They Not a, not a one of them had lived or worked a day in the life of of an oil person, and they just didn't know. So they had sent me to kind of like follow them around because, you know what, I had me one of them fancy-schmancy MBAs too. (laughs) So to me it was was just, it was eye-opening and it was extremely disconcerting. And I said, you know what, I have just as much academic education as they do, and if I went and did this consulting stuff, I would actually bring some true value to our industry because I actually know what it is that we need and what we could do possibly to improve our operations. And so I left, 
the mm-hmm. industry and went into consulting. Okay. And I have nothing but extremely positive things to say about Ernst & Young and Capgemini, where I spent some time learning how to be a true consultant, doing all the fancy consulting stuff. They, they were both very, they're fantastic organizations to learn consulting, traditional type of consulting stuff. Right. And so I um, did uh, oil and gas consulting there. And I also did a stint. Was it anything specialized? What oil specifically? and gas, upstream. Okay. Then we had done this project for a very large national oil company Mm -hmm. that was looking to expand into the international arena. Okay. And it was around the 1998-1999 time frame. Mm -hmm. And that was around the whole, remember the whole Y2K and ERP implementations and SAP, everybody's freaking out, and everybody's spending millions and millions of dollars, even hundreds of millions of dollars in ERP implementations. And so this was your very typical oil and gas strategy consulting gig that we had done for them, which wound up being tremendously successful. And even in can see them in the marketplace today, they blew their own goals and visions out of the water after that strategy that we had done for them. And at the end of the whole thing, the big presentation, the gentleman that was the liaison for our consulting team came and said, Delfina, can you help us with these e-business stuff? And I looked at him and I said, absolutely, Lauro. Well, I hightailed it back to Houston and said, guys, what is (laughs) e-business? And so I quickly learned that there was this whole other information technology e-business, because I had been ignoring it, all the SAP talk and whatever. That was so not interesting to me that I was just ignoring it, doing my very typical industry stuff, and very quickly knew that this is where, figured out that this is where the world was going. And it was a game changer. It was a game changer. But at the time, I also knew that no matter what it was in the marketplace that was going to be a game changer for the world, the oil industry was going to be the late adopter. Mm -hmm. We were not going to be first. That's just not who we are and what we do. So I managed to sell myself, because I have this fancy schmancy MBA with a concentration in finance, into our high-tech supply chain group, which was at the cutting edge of e-business at the time Mm -hmm. at Ernst & Young. So I sold myself as a financial modeler into that group and learned whatever I could possibly learn. And we were developing at the time under, under the direction of a brilliant man who is still a friend of mine today. His name is John Gleckler. We were developing this whole new adaptive supply chain solution that was very cutting edge at the time. And so I soaked up every ounce of knowledge I could with the intent of bringing it back home to the oil industry so that we could then take it down our path. And from there, just spent, I actually left Ernst & Young Capgemini. Capgemini had bought us at the time. And went to work for Cisco System. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that, right? Because it was going to be a piece of the puzzle that I needed to really get this thing to another level to where it would make sense for the oil and gas industry. So I stayed a little longer than I expected. I was only going to go for two or three years and learn some more. Right. Right. But I stayed a little bit longer than I expected. And I was their global managing director for oil and gas, of course, <laughs> for Cisco. And then said, okay, that's it. I'm. So you figured out that something was going to be a game changer. Mm-hmm. And then you strategized your life around that. Yeah. Yeah. And it could have been a really dumb move (laughs) at the time, 
But it actually, I think it, it did me well and helped me understand a whole a new world of opportunity. So I dedicated since about 2006. Mm-hmm. I have dedicated myself to performance improvement in the industry where I now have a very different view of how we should and shouldn't of leveraging data and information technology into our industry. Is that where you're doing at Veritas now? So I've never stopped doing that. I've never, never stopped doing that. I've worked all over the world. I think today I'm more focused. So today, as we speak, I am more focused on another aspect of my consulting practice that has always been there since day one, which is providing advice and counsel and strategic direction to energy ministers and government executives Mm-hmm. mainly for national oil companies. Can you explain some of those, the real challenges you had in this industry? You know, that's actually, people ask me that a lot um, because we, we have it. This industry is very, very difficult for women mm-hmm. because we, you give your life to it. Yeah. It, it's, that's ultimately, yes. I, and yeah. I, I remember, you know, coming up, through the ranks, I don't remember a single guy that I worked with that was present for the birth of any of his children. Yeah, no, that's exactly right, because they, they were probably Working, on a hitch. Or you know, 28 were, on, 28 off, or yeah. whatever. It's you just, oh, the baby's coming. Oh, well, sorry, dear, love you, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm I, flying home. Yeah. And so if you're the woman, what are you going to do? Give birth out in the middle of the ocean you know, on a production platform? It's just not going to happen. But so for, for a woman, it's a very difficult industry because you have to give your life to it. There is, it is very difficult to achieve work-life balance. And I'm probably going to be scaring off every single millennial, female millennial that listens to this podcast. I'm, a, I'm, I'm on the cusp of. Okay. Well, I'm a boomer. So. <laughs> I'm a firm bloomer. Um, but it's, there's, I think there's, the industry is changing. And I, and so I think there's hope. But for the most part, it is very difficult on women because you have to give your life to it. And that's why I waited so very late in life until I had way gotten out of the industry to become a mother. And it's a good thing that I did because, you know, once I became a mother, there was another, yeah, a priority. It was a priority change. Yes. And it was, it was an eye opener for me, but it's a challenge for us as women in the industry to, to make that commitment and especially for someone like me who is so very passionate about this industry that just loves what we do and how we do it, um, you, you have to give up one love for another. Um, but, and so that's that. One of the things that you learn as a woman is that you can't walk around with a female chip on your shoulder. You know, you're, and, and you don't have to be one of the guys either, but you can't walk around with that female chip on your shoulder and you have to walk that fine line. Don't play that card and expect it to get you any further than maybe a promotion, right? Because you're not going to be respected. Don't go the extreme either and try to be overly aggressive. Right. Remember, women biologically have an advantage. We have a tremendous advantage. We need to play to our strengths and not try to be a man. We're not. Well, don't, no. Don't, we're, it's not. Don't, don't try to don't be. Don't fake it. Don't we, fake it. And don't push it too hard. Yeah. Because... That's not what gets us ahead. It's just being good. And yeah, you kind of have to be a little bit better. Yeah. So if you had one piece of 
advice to give our audience? What, what would it be? I think right now today, we need to keep our cool and stay the course. A lot of people are out of work, but this is nothing new for us. Right. How many downturns have you gone through? Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that's just how it works. Yeah. Let's not lose our minds and let's not go chasing after bad advice. Uh, I'll give you an example of some bad advice I think that, that the oil industry is listening to right now. And this is whole data-driven production and information technology. Um, it's great. It's wonderful. There's value there. But we have spent billions, that's with a b b b billions of dollars in this industry on producing terabytes of data. You know, every second of every day, it's, you know, this, this, these terabytes of data are, are spilling out of our, our wells and our facilities, and we use less than 1% of it. And so now it's like, oh, we've got to figure out how to use that. It's like, yeah, okay, but why don't we just get to the root cause of the problem? We're not stupid. We've got some of the brightest minds in the world working in the oil industry. Absolutely. We're highly dynamic individuals that know how to react and respond and, and make really cool things happen. And did I not say already that what we do is more difficult than putting a man on the moon? I mean, look at the technological feats that we have had to overcome to drill in the deepest waters of the ocean and build pipelines across the frozen tundra of this country to be working in the North Sea where it's, you can't even stand still for 10 seconds. I mean, it's just, think about this, what we have to do in this industry, and you're going to tell me that we're not smart enough in the field to figure out what to do with all this data? It has nothing to do with the data, and it has everything to do with the people and how we, how we think, and how we operate, and how we behave. But we're engineers. We're not HR people. We're not psychologists. We don't know how to do the people touchy-feely stuff. We don't know how to get inside the hearts and the minds. We're not anthropologists to understand people's behaviors. That's really the answer. And what are we going to do? Beat, we're going to beat on... All that tremendous knowledge that's out there in the field, most of us that are old and gray and have one foot out the door into retirement, we're going to beat on these people and say, you're not doing enough with your data, and treat them like garbage when they're actually, they're the brain trust of the industry. Why not figure out how to work with the brain trust? And that's how I, that's where I dedicate my, when I'm not working with governments, that's where I dedicate my time is to helping oil companies inside of assets bring those teams together in a manner that breaks down the functional silos that produce these really high-performing teams that, you know what, I don't need your stinking advice. We know how to do it. Just get out of our way. Give them, give them, the, give them the right parameters within which to operate, and they'll figure it out. They, they know how to do it. They just need a little bit of, a, of organization in the right manner that allows them to come to life. And, you know, I say that very calmly and quietly here on this podcast, but I'm not usually very nice about it. So, Well, and then that comes from years of being in yeah. the industry. And right. It's- and it's difficult. Where, how often do we find, and so that's why I'm a little bit unique in my field, is how often do you find that sort of deep oil industry expertise with the softer side? The most important advice is stay the course. And that applies to just about any level in the organization. That applies to 
those senior executives they're getting pressured from, this whole data-driven nonsense, let's get back to basis and focus on actually running our business. Let's focus on the people and let's let them improve our processes. Be patient because the excitement as the price comes back, the role that you will be able to play is going to be game-changing. But do not lose sight of the fact that there is a lot of learning to do. Learning in this industry is a daily endeavor. So stay the course. Understand that this is cyclical. For millennials that are working in this industry, and even even people in the mid part of their careers, what have we learned? What we've learned is don't go crazy with your cash. You save it. You do scenario planning, which is what we do in the corporate offices when we do our budgeting and stuff. We do scenario planning, and we plan for every different... It's not like the oil industry gets hit by $50 oil, and they go, oh, my God, what are we going to do now? They just say, okay, $50 oil, let's pull that one off the shelf. This is what we do. As an individual, make sure that you plan and be prepared because there will be another cycle. Yeah. And that's the price you pay for being a part of the most exciting industry on this planet. Yeah. So... I like that. Incredible advice. What book influenced you the most? Hands down the prize. My grandfather handed it to my father, who quickly turned around and handed it to me. And it's, it's on the shelf and it gets, you know, pulled off and I refer it to it. But there's such tremendous learning from John D. Rockefeller in there on how he thought about things. So you want some advice? Go read the prize and, and study up on John D. Rockefeller and his life and how he was successful in business. Okay. What is your most used business tool? My brain and my mouth. Yeah. People pay me to think. I mean, no, no joke. That's what companies pay me to do. They pay me to think. They're, because my brain kind of works in a different way than most people. I don't know if it's better. I don't know if it's worse. I just know that it's different. It sounds like it works for you, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah you know, you just kind of have to figure out what works for you, right? Right. So, and the reason why I say I think differently is that I approach things from different perspectives. So, for example, I remember there was a client of mine that kept calling me to come to work in the North Sea. Uh, So in in case we didn't pick it up at the beginning of the podcast, I grew up in Venezuela at 11 degrees above the equator in a city that's below sea level. It doesn't get any hotter or more humid. So when they call me to go to work for them in the North Sea, the first time I was just kind of like, oh, when? And they're like, November? Uh, uh." Uh, But I went and they kept calling me back. And I remember sitting at a dinner one night, and I looked at him, and I said, why do you keep calling me? You have brighter minds that can help you right here. This is the epicenter of integrated operations, which is the area that I specialize in. I said, this is the epicenter of it. You have the brightest minds in the world here, but yet you keep calling me. He said, Delfina, you don't realize it, but you're not really a consultant or an engineer. You're an anthropologist. And I refer to you as the petroleum anthropologist. And I kind of scrunched up my nose and I looked at him funny. I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, you know how to get to the heart of why we don't perform and what we need to do to perform, to become more efficient and more effective And it always boils down to the people aspects. And you can do that and you can couch that in engineering terms because you're one of us. 
And I just, I walked away scratching my head and he taught me something that day that I have a really strange way of looking at things. And that's just one example of, I approach things from a different perspective. Okay, so who would you say is your most respected competitor? I don't have a competitor. Why is that? Because I have yet to find anyone that has the same, you can't say the same, right? Because nobody's the same. We're just like oil wells. No two people are the same, just like no two oil wells are the same. That takes the same approach as I do to working with clients and solving problems. I think I listen. I listen a lot, right? So most consultants come in and they do a lot of talking. I do a lot of listening. And so you learn about yourself. You learn what works for you. And that's why I don't really have any competitors. That's a great answer. What would be your most important lesson learned? This summer will be 38 years working in this fantastic industry. I'm not sure if I could narrow it down to one I think, I think patience. You know, we've talked about the oil industry cycles, right? right? And you have to have patience to live through that. Dealing with clients, you definitely have to have patience. Yeah. <laughs> also, representing this industry, you have to have patience. I mean, no matter how many conferences I go to, and I'm regularly asked to speak at conferences, usually because I present a kind of a different perspective on things. And invariably... There's somebody in the audience that wants to stand up and talk about the horrible oil industry, how terrible they are, and we're polluting the planet, or there's peak peak global, global warming and peak oil, and it's it I ha, and I have obviously have an intelligent response, an educated intelligent response to those things, but it there's always the there's always the edge behind the question of you horrible big bad oil company. But I actually have a, a quick story about that. I was called back to Cornell University into their geology department to give a lecture on the global oil industry. And here were students that wanted to understand what the benefit of their geological education could get them. And I was about five minutes from delivering the punchline to my presentation. And here's a side note. Anyone that has ever visited the 800-acre Cornell campus, distance between one class to the next is a 20-minute hike up a hill. So the second class is over, they're flying out the door to make sure they get to their next class. So I'm five minutes from delivering the punchline. And professors had showed up because it was advertised that I was coming. And this one professor from the engineering school, who is a son of Syria, stood up, raised his hand. And I'm very interactive when I do my presentations, ask people for questions. He raised his hand just when I'm about to deliver the punchline and says, I have a question, and starts screaming at the young people in the room. And he went on this tirade against the oil industry and particular major oil companies who had somehow gone in and created economic devastation for his country. And he went on for the full five minutes that were left in the class. And the other professors in the room, especially the ones who had invited me, were jaw-dropped, eyes wide open. Kind of like how I am now. Yeah, exactly. Like, are you kidding me? I'm just standing there quietly at the front of the room He finally stops filling his arms and screaming, and then he says, that is all I have to say. And he sat back down, and class was over. And and then I said, you see, the oil industry is a very divisive industry. And boom, they all flew out of the classroom. (laughs) Wow, that's, that's... Hey, so what? I've had worse happen. Haven't we all? Yes. So what, what is your favorite podcast? 
I like oil and gas industry leaders. It takes a lot to be a leader in this industry. It takes a lot of personal fortitude. And if you're going to get to the top of an oil company and do it effectively and have the, the true following of the people in your industry, you have to be a servant leader. You can't be a narcissist. You, it can't be all about you. It's a very delicate, sensitive, risk-intense industry, and you, you have to be about empowering the people around you to be able to make it happen. Because still with all of our technology, it's still a people-intense industry, even though the major oil companies may not have all the people on their payroll, but the oil field services companies do. Yeah. Well, now that I feel it's only appropriate that we announce this week's winner of the $200 steak dinner from the Capitol Grill. And this week's winner is Chris Baldwin, safety specialist for Chevron. Congratulations, Chris. For your chance to win a $200 steak dinner from the Capitol Grill, each week visit www.bulwark.com forward slash podcast, enter your information, and listen for next week's show to see if your name is chosen. As always, a link will be provided in the show notes to make it easier to enter. If you're not familiar with Bulwark, they are the leader, not to mention the largest manufacturer of flame-resistant clothing in the world. So after you're done signing up for that steak dinner this week, be sure to check out the rest of Bulwark's website to learn more. And since Oil & Gas Global Network's calendar is filled with events, we also need to thank our on-the-road travel sponsors. Lee Hecht Harrison. LLH is the world's leading talent development and transition company that helps businesses simplify the transformation of their talent and workforces to accelerate results and reduce risk. Also helping individuals build their careers within their companies or in transition to new opportunities. Visit www.lhh.com for more information. Also, we've got Total Land Technologies, which has the world's most advanced field land management system, the Landman's Virtual Office. Visit www.totalland.com for more information. So thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with everyone. If people want to reach out to you, what would be the best way to go about doing that? The easiest way to reach out to me is uh, either visit our website or send me an email. Our website is Veritas, and Veritas means truth in Latin. And there's a very important reason why uh, we have truth in our name, because those are the types of consultants that we are. We're all about truth and integrity. But Veritas Total Solution. So VeritasTS.com. And my email address is Delfina.govia at VeritasTS.com. And I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.